For years, technology developers have focused on streamlining best practices for sales and marketing departments across the country. But the same cannot be said about their legal counterparts. After all, no two contracts are the same. On this episode of IT Visionaries, hosted by producer Hilary Georgie, Kai Gogwilt, the co-founder and CTO of Ironclad, talks about how his company is helping legal departments across the country operate more cohesively with their business brethren. Plus, he discusses why he's an advocate for work-life balance and why recruiting and training the right people makes all the difference. Enjoy this discussion. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. This podcast is created by the team at mission.org. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Hillary Georgie, and on the other line, we have Kai. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. We're excited to talk to you about Ironclad and everything you guys have been doing. Um, But the first thing I want to ask you, obviously, is let's start at the beginning. How did you first get interested in technology? Yeah, um, I have always been interested in technology. I would probably attribute it to uh, my mom who started, who was an electrical engineer, um, and uh, my grandfather who uh, worked on computers back in the 70s and 80s. <laughs> um, so I grew up uh, around kind of computers and stuff. And I think what really turned me on to technology um, on a personal level, as opposed to just my family, was actually getting into programming graphing calculators. The TI-83 assembler language was my first programming language, and I built a ton of stuff while I was um, a kid in school. Tell me a little bit about how you got into programming calculator. This it's not a typical little kid hobby, you know? Yeah. Um, I just really wanted to program computers. Uh, I think I wanted to program video games, I think was mm-hmm. the main thing as, as a little kid. Um, and uh, graphing calculators gave me a chance to do that on a small device and start to wrap my head around programming constructs and, you know, built a bunch of games in middle school and high school that kind of went viral within uh, as viral as you can get when you're (laughs) having to transfer these things over like a dongle between calculators. But yeah. What were the kind of things you were programming? Like what kind of games were you making on these calculators? Um, Wow. I'm I'm really going to sound like um, the coolest kid in high school, but um, definitely my biggest hit in high school was a DDR, Dance Dance Revolution clone. (laughs) So uh, yeah, (laughs) this is off to a great start. (laughs) I mean, listen, I think it's phenomenal. That's the coolest thing I've ever heard. Nobody in my high school was doing stuff like that. And I think it would have made math class way more fun if our calculators had games on them. So appreciate it. You're too kind. You probably <laughs> were very popular. You're cutting yourself short. But okay, let's fast forward now. Talk to me about Ironclad. What's your role? What's the scope of your responsibilities? Tell me all the stuff that you're doing. Yeah, for sure. So Ironclad, um, we're a digital contracting platform um, helping modern legal teams uh, execute and control their contracts and really understand what's going on uh, in the contracts that and making sure that the legal team is not just considered kind of a business blocker, but actually a business partner. Um, My role at Ironclad uh, is CTO and co-founder. 
Um, and what that means is um, honestly a little bit vague. Um, <laughs> Jason, my co-founder and our CEO, uh, is very much like uh, the CEO. And I consider my, my role as CTO and co-founder to basically be as helpful to everyone and anyone on the team as I can be. So that ranges from working on the product, um, helping to debug support issues, to working closely with our customers and our legal engineering team to innovate and see how uh, learn how customers are using the platform and really help our customers push the boundaries of what the platform is able to do. That's pretty incredible. So I'm, I'm curious about how Ironclad came to be. So you're one of the co-founders. So what was the, the initial idea? How did you guys come up with it and go about bu building this? And like, what was the main problem you were after? I think maybe to, to take it from my co-founder's perspective um, might be a little bit easier. Uh, Jason um, was an attorney at Fenwick & West, went to law, uh, law school, um, and really saw a ton of inefficiencies around how lawyers uh, execute contracts day to day, and just saw kind of like a big waste of, of human talent in terms of lawyers who are very passionate about the law and very passionate about contracts, uh, really having to do very routine, highly automatable tasks rather than spending time doing legal thought. So uh, he was really inspired in terms of building out a platform to help lawyers scale themselves out more effectively. Maybe to switch over to my side, uh, the direction I was coming from, um, I was a software engineer at Palantir. Before that, I did my undergrad and master's at MIT in computer science and physics. Um, and I've always been passionate about building tools that help people be more effective at what they do. Um, and in particular, I think that the way that software teams build software products together, you know, designers, product managers, software engineers, quality engineers, that is kind of at the forefront of how humans are going to collaborate in the future. And I'm very interested in the idea of bringing some of this tooling over to a different uh, domain. The law, legal technology, and actually contracting in particular is very, very interesting here. Contracting is more than a legal problem, it's a collaboration problem. You're trying to capture the viewpoints and needs of people across um, different domains and different expertise and kind of meld it all into a single, a single entity, the contract that kind of encodes all of the people's different needs and competing priorities and things like that. So in essence, Ironclad is not actually legal technology per se, but more contract collaboration software. Talk to me about like the the initial stages of building this and, and how widespread was this problem? How much convincing did you have to do to get, you know, buy-in on this? Yeah, great question. Early on, uh, it, when it was just the two of us, definitely didn't think that uh, big public companies or Fortune 500 companies were going to trust us with uh, their contracting process. Uh, so we started with more early adopting companies, uh, companies in the 20 to like 50 employee range, um, and ones that were in Silicon Valley, you know, doing the startup thing just like us. And so from that, we really learned a lot about how people think about contracting and really, um, Jason was able to bring his legal background so that we were building the platform for legal by legal at the same time while iterating with kind of the business stakeholders that we're going to be interacting with legal teams. Um, so early on, we were uh, kind of like figuring out how the contracting process worked and really 
condensing it down to make sure that uh, it would work for the legal team, but also make the legal team a good partner to the business stakeholders. We went through Y Combinator um, in summer of 2015, um, and very quickly after that, started to work with uh, much larger companies. You know, before YC, we kind of were honing how contracting worked and getting a sense of how to make the contracting process more collaborative, bring people in earlier, kind of help communication across all the different stakeholders. After YC um, and throughout YC, we understood that this was going to be super valuable the larger, uh, the larger and larger a company was. And after YC, we started to work with much larger companies uh, that were seeing this problem on you know, a day-to-day basis as opposed to you know, smaller companies where they were seeing this at more of a month-to-month kind of pace. Totally. So who, who are the stakeholders generally that you're working with? Yeah, so uh, definitely the legal team. But what we're seeing in uh, legal teams, especially as companies get bigger, is they end up needing to diversify and uh, they kind of, I would say, almost fracture in different ways. Um, So some legal teams uh, are able to actually be business partners, even with kind of the uh, more rudimentary technology uh, that has been built for them. And in these cases, we actually see like legal teams that are pretty unified and are able to actually protect the company and be business business partners to um, the various other organizations such as sales, marketing, R&D. That's the exception as opposed to the norm, though. More typically, uh, we see legal departments that are kind of fractured across either geographies or across different, aligned with different business functions. Um, So a common version of this is actually like the sales department having a legal department attached to them. And uh, even an even more extreme version of this is actually when a legal department completely cedes control of the contract to a different function which kind of creates some, some weird incentives in terms of protecting the, the company from legal risk. I'd love to get into kind of the technology behind Ironclad. So what is it that separates you? What are you offering to your customers that is unique, that is solving a problem for them? Uh, we have great technology, and I think that great technology comes from um, a world-class engineering team. Um, but I actually don't think the technology per se is is the the true differentiator as much as uh, this being technology built by world class uh, by a world class engineering organization and uh, in collaboration with uh, people with legal expertise. This is really technology that's built and designed by great engineers uh, and legal uh, for legal and really understanding the understanding the user, understanding how legal teams work, what legal teams need to do in order to be great business partners has really been the differentiator in terms of Ironclad's technology and platform. So what is the platform? What is the, the data that you guys are unlocking with your contract technology? How, how is it working to help lawyers in the day-to-day? Love that question. Yeah. In the day-to-day, um, legal teams are being confronted by Uh, just changing business requirements. Uh, You know, the pace of business has picked up so much with all of these uh, different platforms that help other functions. You know, marketing technology uh, is rapidly developing. Um, Sales, uh, Salesforce and sales technology really make every single salesperson higher leverage, higher output. Um, But nothing has really been built to help 
legal teams, uh, and the contract is necessary in each of these uh, cases in order to create that business value, to fulfill that business value and encode um, the agreements that are being made between different companies, different entities, different users. So kind of having the contract be a blocker and a necessary piece of each of these really suddenly makes legal look like the bottleneck for, for business, the person, the, the team that's actually slowing down the business. Um, we like to say when your uh, contracts are fast, your business is fast. Um, and we really believe that because contracts are so important to every single department. I think the, the thing that helps legal teams a ton when using Ironclad is the fact that Ironclad gives them the power to iterate at the same pace as the rest of their organization. If you have a contract uh, that takes, if it takes you six months to change how a contract works, the approval process, the different fallbacks and the template of the contract itself, if it takes you six months to change all of that, uh, you're going to be behind in terms of the business. The way business goes these days, you need to really be able to change change business terms on a dime as you discover a new business model, as you try to open a new line of business. Um, and really, that's what uh, Ironclad is enabling these legal teams to do. I've been so uh, so impressed by the work that the Fitbit legal team has been able to do with um, and really turn themselves into a business partner where actually different teams at Fitbit are coming to the legal team and saying, like, how can you help me realize this vision for a new opportunity that we're seeing? Yeah, I'd love to get into some some use cases that you've seen, some some new ways that people are using Ironclad or, or ways that Ironclad is opening up new opportunities for people. Uh, Namely's legal team uh, has been using Ironclad to uh, be a business partner to the sales team. Um, and really by automating uh, their sales contracts, uh, they've been able to accelerate the deal cycle uh, and been able to uh, actually expand the number of deals that legal can, um, can have visibility on, empowering their sales team to actually make more sales. This is, this is a great example of kind of like a revenue recognizing team um, being unlocked by the power of uh, contracting and be, being able to iterate rapidly uh, on the contract uh, via Ironclad. That's awesome. I mean, it's because it is, it's such a domino effect. When one thing works well, then everything else kind of also falls into line and has opened up more doors, more opportunities. It's easier to sell because you can sell faster. Like it's, it's, it's clear to see exactly the impact that you're having in those cases. For sure. Yeah. And I, I think really um, what it comes down to is technology needs to unlock the user. It's not about like the technology inherently being being a good thing. It's actually like the technology being used by the, the users uh, to, to kind of create something that's greater than the sum of its parts. I've really, really enjoyed uh, working with lawyers, working with legal teams. And I'm just so impressed at you know, the legal teams that we work with, really trying to reinvent themselves, really trying to be a great partner to the business and, and help innovate uh, in their own way. Then I've been honestly really gratified by what Ironclad and what our team has been able to do partnering with them to create more business value, to change the perception of legal being the blocker on everything, um, and to really empower legal to like explore and, and create new business opportunities uh, for their companies. 
You talked a little bit about before the the world class team of engineers that you have. I'd love to talk a little bit more about how you source that world class team. What are you looking for when you're you're recruiting? When you're trying to find some talent, what are the the main drivers that you're looking for? Yeah, so um, we we spend a lot of time thinking about how to be very intentful about scaling our culture, and so we've thought a lot about what our values are. And we've actually distilled those into four uh, values, intent, empathy, drive, and integrity. And these are four actually rather generic words, but for us at Ironclad, they mean very, very specific things. Um, And what they encode is, what are the parts of how we work together that we want to scale? You know, we're a uh, fast moving company. Uh, Everyone's going a mile a minute. And so there are gonna be some things that we do that we aren't proud of, you know, some interactions with a coworker that we're not going to be proud of that we realize we could do better. Um, But since we're growing the organization so quickly, it's really important to have kind of touch points for, for new teammates to see, Oh, they, they did that, but maybe that's a corner that was being cut because it doesn't seem to jive well with the stated values. Um, And it really enables the new teammates to more quickly join the conversation of what kind of team do we want to build? What kind of company, do we want to build? What kind of culture do we want to build? And I've been so proud of the, the team for uh, really showing all of those values every day, not only in their work, but just kind of in the, the individual interactions that happen on a day-to-day basis. Um, just the, the kindness and empathy people show across teams. There's no like sales team is at the throat of the CS team or anything. Um, actually, the sales team like sent gift baskets to the CS team um, at the beginning of a a quarter to say thank you for uh, onboarding all of the customers that we closed last quarter. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so there's just a lot of really good, uh, like a lot of empathy going on. um, And we really look for that. That's kind of how we've encoded our values across the team. Um, You you asked specifically about our world-class engineering team. And to dial in on that, I always recommend to people that Uh, They start by building their engineering team uh, with people who care about the user. Um, I hear a lot from people about like trying to protect the engineers from the users or trying to shield the engineers from the users. Um, There's definitely something to be be said about, you know, flow state and making sure that uh, people who are working on software products have blocks, continuous blocks of time to get into that flow state. Um, and kind of like protect them from distraction. But I don't think that shielding people, shielding um, the product and engineering team from user feedback is ever a good thing. I think you want to be selecting for people in the organization who truly care about the end user, um, who want to speak to the end user, who want to hear it. And even if they're hearing things that aren't necessarily great, you want to find people who are going to be fired up by that, as opposed to people who are going to say that that person is wrong. Like, they're just not using it correctly. That's really interesting. And it's also interesting because you yourself kind of started as a programmer and engineer, and now you're also the CTO and the co-founder. So I'm interested in like that dynamic. Was was founding a company something that you ever wanted to do? Or did you were you content to kind of be behind the scenes, be that engineer in that flow state? I didn't really see myself as kind of the, the founder type. Um, I've always been motivated uh, by mission. Um, and by team. When I was graduating from MIT, I definitely was looking for a mission that would speak to me 
And as background, I grew up in uh, I grew up in New York City. I was uh, in middle school on 9/11, so the mission that Palantir had uh, really, really spoke to me, um, and really, really drove and motivated me for my entire career there. And so that is to say, I didn't want to like found anything for the sake of founding something. Um, I really ended up uh, co-founding Ironclad because I truly believed in the mission. I was truly just drawn into the legal tech space. And you know, back in 2014, when Jason and I met, there were not that many people working on legal technology. Um, so I didn't, I didn't find a, a team working on a mission that that fully jived with me. Um, and so I decided to, I guess, take the hard route and try to build our own team from the ground up. And how has it been? How have you feel like you've adjusted as a leader, as a founder, and now as you know the CTO in conjunction with all of that? Well, I'll start by saying I wouldn't trade it for the world. So I've been so thankful and so grateful for kind of the path over the past five years. That being said, it's definitely been an adjustment. <laughs> I love building software and I love engineering and I love building new products. And I do not write code um, as much as uh, I would like to. Actually, it's I would say it's one of my hobbies. And so because I don't code much at Ironclad anymore, I code on the weekend instead. Um, just centers me a little bit. But yeah, it's definitely been uh, an adjustment. And I've been so thankful for the people who have joined the team. Um, I've learned a ton from all of the teammates. Uh, we have an amazing team at Ironclad. Um, I've talked about our world-class engineering organization, but our customer success team, our operations, our sales, our marketing teams, uh, all of these teams have absolutely amazing people in them. And I've learned so much from each and every teammate that we have. Uh, and that's going back to it being an adjustment. Um, I think the, the biggest adjustment has, has been kind of getting my head out of engineering and, and learning what everyone else, uh, what every other function outside of engineering has to do. Um, early in my career, I was rather sheltered from that. And so it's been an adjustment and a huge learning process for me. That's awesome. And so coding is is kind of your hobby. That's fun. You have other mm -hmm. hobbies, though. You, you, you love music, right? I read that you love music and you've actually compared music to engineering in the past. And I'd love to hear kind of your theory about that. Yeah. So I have been a classical cellist uh, for, I want to say, like over 20 years. <laughs> um, and I've never taken a break from playing cello. So uh, yeah, I would definitely say cello is um, one of my main hobbies, if not my main hobby. And I've talked a, a bit about how cello has really helped me in my work. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily from the perspective so much of like being a cellist makes you a better engineer um, or a, a better co-founder. Um, as much as like playing music, I really think helps you be a better collaborator, be a better teammate. You know, I love playing in orchestras and I especially love playing in um, smaller groups like chamber music, uh, which is usually, say, four players making music together. And in a chamber music setting, what's really interesting there is as the cellist, you sometimes have the theme um, and sometimes are leading. And then other times uh, you're less prominent in kind of the, the music that's being made. And so it really gives you an opportunity to practice leading and then drawing back and letting others lead, but all kind of, but recognizing that every single person um, in the quartet is critical and is you're all actually leading together. Um, I think that translates uh, perfectly to 
almost every working team setting where it's really um, the contributions of everyone are absolutely critical, even if one or two areas might be being featured more prominently at any given point. I love that. And I think it's so cool. I mean, so you play chamber music like on the weekends and stuff, you know, when you're not coding and, and, and such. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll play chamber music on the weekend with friends. I am usually in one or two orchestras, you know, as my schedule allows, I'll gig around <laughs> um, so playing, <laughs> playing bars and clubs. Um, yeah, music is music is my passion, my hobby. And I'm thankful that it also helps me be a better collaborator. That's awesome that you're able to do that and and you're able to bring it back into the work environment. And like you said, it makes you a better collaborator because everybody is doing important work in the company. And I feel like there's also to take it back to kind of like the technology side of things. There's a fear right now that technology is is going to replace people. You're not going to need as many people to do a certain thing. But you you're obviously a proponent that technology is an enabler. So I'd like to hear kind of your thoughts on technology not being something that you could you have to fear that it's going to replace you, but something that you can use to help you. Yeah, absolutely software plus human is greater than just software or just humans. And uh, especially in the legal technology space, what we're seeing with our customers is not that they want technology so they can cut headcount. They want technology because they can't find enough talented people to, to do the work. Being a lawyer or a legal assistant or a paralegal, um, all contracts manager, all of these things are very difficult and require a lot of attention to detail, a lot of like um, problem solving and thought. And without technology, um, they also then require on top of it this kind of like rote, um, highly automatable stuff. Uh, so I definitely believe that uh, Ironclad is helping handle not only those rote things, but also surfacing information people need to make better decisions uh, more efficiently. And I think that's true across many different spaces. Um, certainly it was uh, in the government space when I was working at Palantir. Uh, I see other companies also helping a ton um, in terms of helping uh, people make better decisions more, more effectively. Yeah. How much are you kind of keeping in tune with what's going on across the board in, in the tech industry? Like you're in legal tech, but are you, are you paying attention to what people are doing in, you know, marketing tech and, and whatever, financial services, whatever the case may be? How much do you kind of read or, or talk to other people in the industry to get a handle on what's going on? Good question. I actually, I think I spend less time and I'm less aware of what's going on in other industries um, and especially in terms of like what technology companies are doing to innovate other industries. Uh, I say less uh, because I, I, what I mean is less than one might expect. Um, I think when I, I do read a lot about what other companies are doing, but I read about them more from the perspective of how are fast growing companies building their teams and culture um, effectively. You know, I recently was recommended and, and read the book, Scaling Up Excellence. And I'm really interested in learning about how uh, teams that are rapidly growing and innovating uh, manage to 
maintain and scale uh, the great aspects of their culture and kind of spread uh, and distribute excellence, not only because we're trying to do that internally at, with the team at Ironclad, but also because we work with uh, teams that are reinventing themselves. The legal teams that, that use Ironclad are the ones that are um, under high pressure from their business to innovate and change, probably because the, the business of that company is changing around them. Uh, and so it's, it's fascinating to, to also apply concepts around spreading excellence uh, to our industry of, you know, how, is legal how are legal teams changing? How is legal operations uh, going to shape? And how can we help the legal operations and, and legal um, in-house legal? How can we take pockets of excellence and ideas uh, and help other teams um, across our, our customer base and within our community to spread those great practices and things that they're learning. So how are you doing that? And what's what's next? What's in the future for Ironclad for you? What are you guys working on? What are you excited about? Well, I'm super excited about the community, both because I think that's uh, part of the future and part of the answer in terms of spreading excellence and spreading great ideas. Um, I've been so impressed by uh, the in-house legal community, um, and especially kind of the rise of the legal operations community uh, in terms of trying to figure out what is this new world we're in, what are the new requirements um, and pressures that legal teams are facing, and how do we cope with them? Um, so seeing how different, different communities of innovators within legal operations and, and within legal have been getting together uh, and trading best practices, not even just like ironclad and contracting best practices, but just running a legal team in the modern world, best practices. And honestly, that's probably one of the things I'm, I'm most excited about. And that's almost separate from ironclad um, is, is the future of the legal team. Within ironclad, I think I'm just excited about the team. Um, we have an absolutely amazing uh, set of people to work with. Um, we have an absolutely wonderful um, set of customers, and I know a lot of them um, on an individual basis. Uh, they're just like such wonderful, pleasant, intelligent people uh, to work with, and we source most of our uh, best ideas by speaking to by speaking to the customers and understanding um, what they're trying to accomplish and how they're they're innovating within their organizations. How much time is like, how, how do you split your time between like working with customers versus working internally with employees? What, what is like your typical day kind of look like in that sense? Great question. I don't think I have really a typical day. Um, my schedule, my responsibilities have changed rapidly from week to week, month to month, quarter to quarter. Um, I won't even say year to year cause that's too long of a timeline. And, uh, I think that's partly because you know, as the non-CEO co-founder, I'm really just trying to help teams uh, wherever I can and help unblock different people at different times. I would say right now, my primary responsibility at the company is listening um, and trying to connect people. We have an awesome team of really, really intelligent, innovative people. And oftentimes, the best thing I think I can do for the company is to uh, have spoken to a couple of people who have some great ideas uh, across different teams um, and just connect them and say, you should talk. You have great ideas. Like um, you're both thinking about similar things, talk. And I think something even better will come out of it. So you're always talking to people, you're connecting people. Talk to me about how that aligns with short-term goals, long-term goals. How are you thinking 
in that sense? What are you doing to work in the short term versus work in the long term? So we use um, a company plan to try to help us balance short term, medium term, long term, and really align all of the teams around what is the like big strategic thing that we're moving towards. This is kind of a, an evolution of something that we used uh, as a smaller company uh, to make sure that we are bringing everyone into the conversation. So I'll explain that framework a little bit, which is just four buckets of things. The long-term project that we were trying to deliver on for the, for the sake of the company, and we kind of spent about 50% of, we said we were going to try to spend 50% of our time on that. Um, and then we said there were kind of these shorter-term projects that would affect multiple customers. We kind of aimed for 35% of our time on that. Uh, we spent about, tried to spend 5% or less on one-off features, kind of like you have your biggest customer asking you for this very specific thing. Try to limit the time that the company spends on that to 5%. Um, and then 10% of our time, the remaining 10% of our time, we put into a fourth bucket, which was our own team's velocity. Um, and so there's a, uh, you may have heard the term technical debt thrown around kind of paying down that technical debt as we went, um, and also making sure that teams operated effectively together, so organizational debt. Paying that down, we expected to take about 10% of our time from the very beginning. What articulating those four buckets did for us early on, and by early on, I, I mean sub-20 employees is probably very top of mind, and then we continue to allude to it these days, although we don't use it as our primary framework. But using these four buckets um, of kind of like the long-term project, shorter-term cross-customer projects, one-off and tech support projects, and then internal team velocity, technical debt, organizational debt, um, it allowed everyone to join the conversation and really talk about trade-offs in more of an apples-to-apples -apples way. You know, you're always going to be pushing off technical debt and organizational debt if you're comparing it to something that a customer is saying, this is a burning need, we need this like tomorrow. But if instead you're saying, okay, look, we have been spending 20% of our time on one-off customer requests at, and it's coming at the cost of like actually investing in ourselves and making sure that next year we're going to be able to operate as effectively and um, efficiently, then the conversation becomes um, a lot easier. You, you start to talk about like, okay, we're going to invest in this thing for our technical debt because uh, it's better than investing in this other thing, which will, which would be great to do at some point, but it's not going to give us the extra efficiency that we need to get to the next uh, quarter. And then on the shorter term projects, you, you trade off against like this set of customers versus this set of customers and kind of prioritize on that while still reserving time to um, really work on the long-term bet that's going to expand the business value for the customer set as a whole. That's awesome. And it sounds like it's been super effective for you guys. So kudos on that. That's really cool. Thank you. All right. Let's get into the lightning round. The lightning round brought to you by our sponsor, Salesforce, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. You can learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. All right, Kai, are you ready? Yes, let's go. All right. What is the app you're using on your phone that is the most fun? Most fun. Um, I spend a fair amount of time in Google Photos. <laughs> oh, <laughs> damn, my Google Assistant went off just there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I love uh, Google Photos is cool. The, the Assistant functionality on it um, and kind of the delightful moments of 
uh, sending me like an edited feature um, or a memory from the past has been really fun to look at. Has it has it recognized your face? Is it like 100% unable to recognize your face yet? I guess, it, yeah, it's definitely able to recognize my face basically 100% of the time. Um, I'm a little less creeped out than that than maybe I should be, but... <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's all good. It's we're it's the world we're living in. What do you, <laughs> you mentioned a book earlier. Do you have any other favorite recent books you've read or podcasts you've listened to? Uh, yeah, I mentioned Scaling Up Excellence. Um, that was really um, an eye-opening book uh, for me. Yeah, I'd go with uh, Scaling Up Excellence. Um, I read that pretty recently, and I, I think we've been thinking about a lot of those kinds of uh, things. Uh, we recently expanded into a New York office um, and so went from being all in San Francisco to being across, you know, different time zones. Um, and so kind of thinking about how we are going to deal with that split across um, East Coast and West Coast um, and how we are going to continue to have um, a unified culture where all of the best practices were being spread. Um, we thought a bit about that, um, but actually reading um, kind of the concepts that uh, the authors of Scaling Up Excellence um, had come up with based on their study of different organizations going through similar kinds of problems um, was really, uh, really helpful for me and really clarifying, um, helped put in perspective some of the practices that we'd um, decided to put into play and really give me words to describe the principles behind those practices. Nice. You're a both coast guy. You grew up in New York and you live out in California now. So what are your favorite hidden gems in both spots? Um, hidden gems in San Francisco is probably easier for me. Um, then go for that one. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, Classical Revolution, um, which is an event uh, actually across the Bay Area, but it started at Rev Cafe in the Mission every first and third Monday evening. Uh, classical Revolution is an opportunity where classical musicians come together and just sight read um, or play music, classical music uh, for anyone wow. and everyone who wants to listen. It's free. Obviously, they accept donations and the bar accepts people wanting to buy drinks. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's just a great, it's a great, really intimate. Um, it's a pretty small bar. So it's a really intimate way to uh, enjoy classical music and the musicians go purely for the joy of it. So um, I think there's something special there. Nice. What is your favorite piece of music to play? My favorite piece of music to play? I love playing chamber music. Uh, and so probably my favorite piece of chamber music to play is the Brahms B major piano trio. I know that's oddly specific, but um, if you uh, have, I imagine um, a lot of people haven't heard it before, would highly encourage listening to it. It's Absolutely beautiful, but listen, listen to the Brahms B major piano we'll trio. It's an absolutely <laughs> okay. What is your best advice for a first-time CTO or founder or co-founder? Yeah, best advice. I think honestly, um, we covered some of it. It's don't shelter the engineering or product team from the user. I think there's a lot of fear that um, you know got to protect the engineers time from distractions so that they can like code more stuff. But that's completely wrong. If the engineer doesn't know what the users are saying, then they're not going to be able to put in context what they're doing. Um, and then uh, beyond that, there's also sometimes a fear, like uh, especially early stage pre-product market fit that the team hearing that people don't like what they're building 
is going to kind of discourage them. Uh, I would say if your engineering or product team is getting discouraged from people uh, from people criticizing the product, that's going to be problematic long term. Instead, you want people who are going to be fired up by um, people not liking the product and really just even more motivated to to deliver a great user experience that adds value. Awesome. Last question. What is one question you don't often get asked that you wish you were asked more often? One question that I wish uh, people interviewing at startups would be more proactive about asking about is like, how's the vibe on the leadership team? Um, you know, do the, do the leaders at the company get along? Mm-hmm. Um, I do a lot of interviews uh, for Ironclad. I don't hear people really asking that question. Uh, I think it's really important to make sure that all the different teams at a company are really like functioning well together. Um, so when I do hear the question, I'm very excited to, to answer it. I'm very excited that the, the potential new teammate is actually thinking about that. And I know it's not something that I thought at all about when I was, um, you know, before, before Ironclad. Yeah, really, I think that's something that I'd, I'd love for people to um, ask me more about um, or ask other people more about. Nice. So how is the leadership team at Ironclad? Leadership team at Ironclad is awesome. <laughs> um, maybe that's part of the reason I wish people would, would ask more about it. But, um, you know, I'm just I'm so thankful to be able to learn um, from from everyone on our leadership team and, and beyond. And the vibe is just so wonderful and collegiate. Um, there's a great culture of, of just being able to um, kick around ideas and, um, you know, ask for feedback. Uh, yeah, there's a great, great vibe on the leadership team at Ironclad. Nice. Kai, that's it. That's all for us. Thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much. All right. Talk soon. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.